you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy is Ali Reza Faranakian. Ali founded New York City's People's Improv Theater, a.k.a. The Pit, where we recorded this pod chat late at night. <laughs> Ali was a founding member of Upright Citizens Brigade. He was writer on Saturday Night Live, and at Second City, he performed with the likes of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Yep. Ali's been on Law & Order, 30 Rock, and Late Night with Conan O'Brien, but what Ali really is, is a powerhouse. He's driven, focused, honest, funny, engaging, and inspiring. In other words, another perfect ADD comedy guest. <laughs> Enjoy! But it's when I go away that people appreciate me. Um, and what about voiceover? I mean, I've forgotten what a, you know... Voice I don't really had. do voiceover. Really? I stopped. I don't know. You didn't, because I know I see you in TV and commercials. I just stopped doing agent stuff. I don't do any any industry stuff at all. Wow. Well, I mean, you know. I'm not making a judgment right, on right, anything right. other than I was, I, it frustrated me that I had agents who really said, yeah, no, we really care about you, and then would never come to see my fucking show, So any shows that I was in. So mm-hmm. if you don't, in, in what it is that I do how can you sell me mm-hmm. and I don't mean to be bitter because I don't really think I am but I do believe that uh, you, at the end of the day you make you make your own business right. what I love about you is like when the wind don't blow you row and you've been rowing around the world and you're one audition away from being on something that goes syndication I believe that too I believe that too I, I believe I also believe I believe that, and I love what I do. Are you teaching? Yeah, I teach two or three nights a week. I love it. It's the time where that's all of this stuff that we have built. We do it to get into the rooms. Whether what do you that, mean we do it to get in the rooms? To teach. Okay, right. So Simple Studios, the whole thing that we built, we built it so that I could and we could teach from 7 to 10 or whenever Right. to have that rarefied condition, you know? So it, all of it. All this work, what we do in the day, upkeeping 22 toilets, electrical, plumbing, you know, carpentry. We do it so that we can teach and perform and, you know, have these platforms for people. Isn't it also, uh, because you're telling me about the, you know, how many bathrooms you have and all that kind of stuff. I feel like the gloriousness of all that is having other people do those things. Now, there's a lot of talented people, a lot of amazing people who help keep these things going, but, you know, yeah. I mean, they do it, but there was a time 14 years ago where I was the dude, and I still step in when need be, and there's still things where I have to, you know, talk to contractors and architects, and with all the places, there's always going to be some issue that you've got to deal with. You can't have a bricks-and-mortar places and not have death by a thousand paper cuts. Do you feel that... um this is going to sound weird, like a weird question. Do you in some way enjoy that? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I heard something once that no matter what job you have, it all comes down to what flavor shit sandwich do you like eating? <laughs> You're going to eat one. So what do you like eating? And so I don't mind the minutia of, you know, the contractors and the business and the architects and dealing with different vendors. And it's cool to, like, have an electrician come in and put lights where there was no lights. And then by the end of the day, hit a switch and it's right. lit up. right. You know, right. that's fun. Right, right. You know? I love a project. I fucking love a project. I really love it. 
And I think the people who say, but it is that, it is exactly that shit sandwich thing where it's like, what flavor shit sandwich do you want? Um, I, I, I look at stuff and people go, I don't know how you do X. Um, I couldn't do X. It's like, you know what? I like doing X. I don't know how you do Y. Yeah. And, and I get it. So when people say, so, you, so who helps you get all your gigs? It's like, nobody. So who plans your travels? Like, I do. Who, <coughs> who, who does your promotion? I do. And don't you want to have somebody else do that? It's like, that's part of the fucking fun. And for me, part of the fun also is, yes, doing the gig is fun. But part of the fun is also fishing for the fucking job. What's your equivalent of the fishing? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I guess part of that is, you know, we haven't done a project in a while, but it's having a space find you, signing leases, you know, going through the construction. You know, when you're doing construction, there's a lot of days where you can't tell that anything's happening. Things are happening. And then one day, a bar top goes in. One day, the risers go in. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're like, you start seeing it. But so, but you also have a school. Yo, yeah, yeah, we and have. and so are the numbers. It's going to sound like a dumb question. The numbers are important for the school, right? Is that one of the things where you go, we got to up the twenty percent or eight percent, three percent more next year? Do you <sighs> look at shit in that way? I'm not really. I would say I'm more rough numbers person. Uh-huh. You know, if we are covering our costs, we're paying our bills, and people are getting paid. You know, years ago, a friend of mine and I were going to become part owners. That guy who I showed you. Uh, one of the pictures, Fred Weller, we're going to become part owner in a friend's restaurant. And my friend was asking, well, what happens if like someone gives away some wine to their friends or something glasses break? And he was like, Fred, it's the restaurant business. You know, if you're going to be that kind of fine-tuned about it, don't get in this business. Right. It's that, it, that's the flavor of that shit sandwich. Right. It's rough math. Right. You know, look, I mean, knock on wood, we've done pretty well in going into year 14. We have, you know, Jesus great Christ. faculty and about a thousand students at any given time. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of talented, hardworking people who keep this ship going, but hopefully it means as much to them as much as it means to me. Well, I got to tell know? you, the word on the street about the pit is it's, it's a quality fucking place. You know, and when I hear the people coming from that and taking classes here, there's, there's a buoyancy to it that I think that other places don't there are a couple other schools that we know of where they you will always hear somebody go mer about it certainly in LA about a couple of the schools but I don't hear that from people here well it grew so organically that each instructor was hired one at a time Mm -hmm. and not even like one a day one a week one a month but just over a period of 14 years so we didn't have room to have any filler instructors I met with them. I made sure they loved teaching for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. They wanted to really be of service. They weren't just doing it until something else came up. That you really, if things were different, you would be a teacher. That that idea of being in service is so fucking awesome. Because, And I think that people don't really... I love that phrase of like being in service because I feel like improv is so much about... This is so, improv is so much about being in service because you're in service to your partner and your partner is in service to you and both of you are in service to the scene and the audience is observing the service that you're doing and if it becomes this fucking self-actualized zen thing then everybody knows that they're a part of this fucking thing. So anybody sitting in the audience is going to affect and it's not like the one guy that gets up and goes woohoo! It's like them being there affects the piece. And so we're all in service to that. And if you forget that, 
if, when, you forget that, it becomes an ego thing and then it becomes a fucking pain in the ass. Yeah, something I've been thinking or saying lately is that if you pursue the goddess of craft, the goddess of money becomes jealous and pursues you. Oh my God. If you pursue the goddess of service, the goddess of money becomes jealous and sneaks into your pocket. Because she wants to be with you. Why don't you want to be with me? I'm having a good time being with the goddess of service. We're just hanging out. It's easy, spontaneous goddess of craft. She's just, it's cool. It's just, I don't know, it's not work. And then the goddess of money wants to get with you. I love that. You know. I love that. It, and here's another thing that you have to do in order to, to feel that way. Money's okay. Fucking money's okay. And I think that so many of us, and I was guilty of this, and I think this is something that an artist does, is at the beginning you're like, I'm not going to sell out. It's like, okay, fine, then don't. Right. But here's another thing. you got a product and people are paying for it. And there's some, there's some producer who's just hoping that you're going to call yourself a starving artist so they can take advantage of your fucking craft. Mm -hmm. So for me, ask for money. It helps you survive. And then you're in service to the fucking world. Right. Well, to me, money's a tool. That's what it is when you really quantify it. What is it? It's, you know, I can't pay folks to, you know, to drop off sheetrock. And I can't pay folks in, you know, they, you've got to give them money. You know, so you, it's, you've got to really get past. For whatever people of our generation, where money is the root of all evil, or our parents, or society, or wherever it was, that made us think that money, we didn't want it. We wanted to be, there was nobility in poverty. And to be an artist and living in these cold water flats and abandoned buildings, which I've lived in abandoned buildings, you know, with no water, that there was something to this. But it's just this idea, you know, and you really have to break past your own brainwashing because to be a human being is to be brainwashed. And we're all brainwashed. What do you mean by that? Well, we're all brainwashed. Whether you're brainwashed Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whether you're ba brainwashed Yankees, Mets, whether you're brainwashed Catholic, Jewish, mm -hmm, Muslim, mm -hmm. we're all brainwashed. We're born in this world and someone begins to brainwash us <coughs> in a certain way. And each day you have to ask yourself, do I agree with my brainwashing? Right. Am I cool with this? Right. That what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And if you're not, then you have to kind of re-brainwash yourself. We're all connected. Right. We're more alike than we think. We all came from one source, <laughs> you know? That, all that is true. And... And it's not at a certain time every day that you have to think that, but something approaches you that makes you question you holding on to that thing. So that's your opportunity to go, maybe Mets today. Maybe Mets today. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe Boston. But one of the things that I've learned in improv is the power of surrender. I just fucking let it go. And somebody said something once where they, they said, there's nothing that I let go of that doesn't have claw marks in it. And I feel like, why do we have to fight so hard to, to go, you know what? What I believe doesn't serve me anymore. And that's why I'm struggling. Or that's why I'm fighting. Or that's why I'm so loud. Or that's why I'm so uh, energetic about this. Is maybe I'm afraid that I don't believe it anymore. I mean, the idea of once we let go of our anger, then what do we got? What do we let go, we let go of our fear? Then who am I then? Who am I if I'm not angry at you? 
who am I if I don't have that? And I'm just thinking about, like, you know, trying to think of things in terms of centuries. Of like, we knew, we knew slavery was wrong. We knew women should have had the right to vote from the beginning. We knew segregation was wrong. What else right now do we know is wrong that we're just doing? Where we know, we know this. But it's lazy, it's easy. You know, it's so easy to just be like, oh, racism. <laughs> it's just fun and it's easy to blame somebody else. Oh my God. Because I was thinking of this with, you know, I was reading about the, you know, I say reading, but it was really probably watching either a TED Talk or a short video on YouTube about how basically slavery came about because we needed massive amount of labor to uh, fulfill the needs of tobacco sugar and cotton two out of the food the three things we needed was for these sugar and tobacco addictions and we never no one along the way ever thought maybe we'll just recruit the folks over like a recruiting service and pay them some of it and let them work like three or four days and look it's going to be hard it's not going to be easy but we will make them migrants right or sharecroppers make it a job right <laughs> <laughs> but someone was like, why not just make them slaves? We got guns, and these guys are willing to sell them to us. Maybe they tried to get people. Someone must have stood up and brought it up in a meeting, and they were like, "Yeah, but how do we kill and rape then?" How, well, that's another thing. How does that happen if, and, if and we're hiring? I think it was also a culture that was brought into that thing, where like there's this thing called slaves over and they're right. doing slave things. It's right. like, oh yeah, yeah, slaves. And nowadays, to just think about that, it's beyond anybody's, like, like to go, um, Obama just said he made it illegal to bring in, to ex, to import goods made with slave trade. And you think, what? That's something that had to be a law now? Oh, it's all over the world. There's I know. There's a massive amount of slavery happening. There's a massive, listen to what you said. There's a massive amount of slavery happening. And I'm going... Fucking one train, man. It says on the sign that it's going to take three minutes and now it's going to take six right. minutes. What? Right. Who do I call? That's why I say all my problems are first world problems. They're all just first world. So I try to keep it, you know, we all have, I mean, it's relative. We all have our challenges and our, you know, problems or whatever you want to call them. But it's like, it's first world for me. It's not, where's the water? There's no water. <laughs> you know, right. there's dudes on horses with machetes coming after our women. And then I look at what's going on in Flint, Michigan, and you see the way that the water was poured out of the, the, the faucets, and you're going, what the fuck? In our country? They should be worried about how many kilobytes per second is coming through their internet, not fire water on fire, water on fire, water on fire. But it's another one of those things like, we know this is wrong. But it's so hard to deal with. People are like, infrastructure, pipes that are corroding. We don't even know what to do and the amount that it would cost. We don't know where to get it, so we got to continue being these people. Right. That say it's okay. What made you open this space? Simple, Simple Studios. Studios. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were... Um, we were teaching classes. We'd been open to the pit for about five years. And I had a, a great general manager, managing director, Katie Gowen, and she... She would bring me the checks to sign, and every week I was signing checks, and they were substantial checks to other rehearsal spaces. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, she was saying to me that, you know, I'm having trouble booking our classes. 
She can't. She couldn't get the space. She couldn't get space. Uh-huh. So we were having an issue where we would have like a level one, and it would have two weeks here, <coughs> two weeks here, and mm-hmm. two weeks there. And I was teaching in these other spaces, and they were fine. But all these other spaces in New York fell into the improv business. They were really dance, music. So whenever you're teaching an improv class, invariably someone would be doing hip hop opera or something next door, and you're trying to do room tone conversation. And there's only so many times you can say as an instructor, just use it. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, just use it, but it was just like, it was just the universe kind of pushing us. Mm -hmm. And then certain things happened that allowed me to have, you know, the money to do it. Right. I had a landlord that was right next door to the old pit. And we became friendly, mm. and it was creative deal structures. Working with a landlord who understands, you know, this is what I got. This is a floor that's available, and it was right at the right time in New York City when the market was down. Mm-hmm. So it was just, you know, again, it was out of necessity, and it just kind of luck. Like I could, I couldn't do this again right now. Right. Everything I've done, I couldn't do right now. Mm-hmm. It only happened in the alchemy of the moment of right. having the right people, the right amount of money, the right you know, connections, the networking that allowed us to build the old pit with a you know, landlord who, you know, saw past like we don't have that kind of money, then the new pit, and then simple studios, and then pioneers. The bar stuff the bar downstairs. The bar downstairs. Which right. was supposed to be the comedy bar, another place to do stand up, and it just we realized we really you, you can't do stand up, there's too much noise. Right. Right. Um, I think the reason that I'm asking is it goes along the thing where you, you, you want to make a change and you could easily go, ah, what, you know, you can't, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do two weeks here and two weeks there and two weeks there. Instead of saying, what if we threw money at it and we allowed ourselves, what is it that, here's the thing, how can we think big? And to think big allows you to think big. And, and I also believe that because you let yourself think big, I'm gonna get a little, you know, mis- uh, 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 spiritual here because you think big. Big came to you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was pretty naive, you know. I and I didn't. My daughters were younger. See, one of the things they say in poker is the hardest thing to do in poker once you have a chip stack, a big chip stack, is that you tighten up mm-hmm. and you stop doing the things that got you that chip stack. You know. So now my daughters are nine ish and seven ish. You know, I have a wife. It's like, would I make would I make those same gambles that I made, you know, eight years ago when they were very young? You know, um, even but, back then, you must have gone. Ugh, I got six year olds. Well, no, back then they were probably two, okay. two or three. You know, uh-huh. and one was probably one or two. You know, you know, it was just everything that I've done has been having the exact right amount of money mm. with the right landlord mm-hmm. to do a creative deal structure that allowed us to get in and start. Um, you're a fucking businessman. Well, I mean, you, it's one of the hats I have to wear. It's uh-huh. one of them. Did you see your? Did Did you one day realize? Did you one day realize that? Well, I mean, I was you know ever since I was young, I worked and I had like I mowed yards, I you know I did landscaping. I was the treasurer of my fraternity in college, you know. So I didn't know I was doing it, but it was almost like the movie Limitless where you don't realize you know these things and all of a sudden you get in like, oh, okay, I know how to do this, that, or the other. And again, it's, I was apprenticing at, you know, Improv Olympic, whether I knew it or not, I was watching Sharna do it and apprenticing at Second City and apprenticing at UCB and apprenticing Mm. at SNL. And all of a sudden, 13 years of apprenticing was like, okay, it's time for me to put a shingle out. 
And it was post 9-11, and it was a time where it was like, you know, when we first started looking at spaces, where it was a sense of, what am I going to do with my life? You know, that thing always, that existential How crisis. How old were you when that happened? When, not when you went, what am I going to do with my life? Well, I've been, it's probably been going on since I was five, but this time was around in my early 30s. Around mm-hmm. 33, right. I was post 9-11, living in New York City, SNL was done, and mm-hmm. I was here, and I just wanted to teach more and perform more, and I just felt like it was time to go out there and put out a shingle and try right. something. Right. And, you know, I had just enough money because of a law and order I did where they needed someone to portray an Arab uh, attorney representing an American Taliban kid. Mm-hmm. So because of 9-11, I got a law and order gig that was coveted that gave me the money to start the original pit. Was that, were you recurring on that? No, this was just a guest lead. Just a guest lead. But again, it was New York City and it was, you know, the amount the landlord wanted in the beginning, it wasn't that much at that time. Got it. Got it. To get in. I mean, got again, it. it's like now it's, they want six months rent, they want security. <coughs> right. Back then, they were willing to take one month rent, you know, security, mm-hmm. and they were able to take like a, 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 it was all doable. I think the reason I asked that question is, um, so many actors that I know will, uh, w- because they're afraid to be called businessmen, won't admit that they're businessmen, and so their business fails. And their business, unfortunately, is them. They are their business. So, fucking take care of your business, artists. Because, and, and one of the things is, we have that phrase called starving artist. There's no phrase of starving plumber. You know, there's no phrase. So, it's, it's, about, it's about worth, but you didn't think about worth. You just thought about, this is what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, it happened really organically. I mean, it was really just this thing of, you know, each step along the way, you know, it... All milestones happen in a day. You know, mm-hmm. a kid's not walking, they're walking. A kid's not running, they're running. They're not riding their bicycle, they ride the bicycle uh-huh. in a day. And the same thing with these, where it's just like in one day, you talk to someone, you talk to someone, you talk to them, and then one day you sign the lease. And once you sign the lease, you got to figure out, how am I going to do this? And then you start calling people, you know, and then people come to you and like, my friend's an architect, this person's a project manager, they built a bar. Okay, and then you just start, you know... You know, it's like you watch one, do one, teach one. Uh-huh. I watched them build a bar, then I built a bar, then I helped someone else build a bar, you know. And that's kind of like with everything. It's exciting. It's fucking exciting. And I would do more of it if I had money. Like, I mean, I, people always ask about L.A. and doing something in Los Angeles. And, you know, I would love to do something in L.A. You would? It's just, I mean, not out of any kind of opportunity, out of some sense of obligation, because so many pitizens have gone out there. And mm-hmm. after a while, everyone's going to find new boyfriends and girlfriends. Right. You know, no one's going to just wait for you forever. Right. And, you know, it might be too late, and it may not be the best use of my time, but it feels like we could open up someplace pretty cool that would kind of, you know, give that sense of like, look, this can be a craft, it can be a career, and it can also be a community. Right. Community to me is just so fucking important. I know the community that was in L.A. when I first moved out there 21 years ago. Um, for me, to get off of the fucking plane and then two days later be able to play with um, you know, George Went and Bernadette Burkett and Jeff Machowski and Jane Morris and all these people that made that and, you know, and then Jay Leggett and all those people that were just... We have a fucking community and that community 
that community nurtures so much and it's what you call your 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 your, your pitizens like that's the, that's the thing that that it's synergy it's getting energy from energies all these people who are creating this fucking awesome thing um do you do, are you but you're still auditioning i don't know how you, where you have oh, time i have an audition tomorrow yeah. right yeah. so i don't i'm looking at all i'm looking at this space i'm looking at this room which is just so packed with great art and two desks and a and a lounger chair, a la couch, um, and I'm thinking, when do, wh how do you? For me, I do four hours of sleep a night, four or five hours of sleep a night, and I wake up and it's like, come on, let's go, and so I pack that day with stuff. You have a fucking family, and you run a business, and you're an artist. How? Well, there are a lot of people involved you know in keeping these things going so look like tomorrow i've got two auditions then i pick up my daughter i take her to you know her thing then i go home and i'm with the family for a little bit then i've got to go meet this new um an artistic director who's interviewing for a new ad job you know and then i will have a class show wednesday tuesday i'll teach I'm doing no Tuesday night. I'm doing something with Glazer, John Glazer, and Dave Pasquazzi for a, a bowling thing that Glazer asked us to do to raise money for another theater. You just what's in front of you? Fuck, fuck, just fuck. what's in front of you? Right? You, you ask me, hey, can you do this? Sure, Sunday right. work, great. Will you meet me? If people meet you halfway, you ask me to do your podcast. I'm I'm thrilled and humbled and honored. Okay, Sunday work for you? Yes, and right? Can you meet me at Simple Studios? I know it'll be quiet. We won't have to deal with anything. Yes, and, and we're here. Great. And we'll do it, and then I'll go get a cab, go home, and work on these lines some more. Right. And then go to bed. Right. That's it. Just. And there's also there's also something about this is my life. This is the fucking life I lead, and I and and in a in a huge wonderful way to go. This is my life, and this is part of my life, and this is what my life is about. And I get energy from energy, you know. And and for me that shit, when, when I think about look at my schedule and look how packed it is. Someone would look at that and go, how do you do it? And I look at it and go, oh, this is exactly what I want it to look like. But that's what I'm saying. Like when I see your stuff on Facebook, I'm like, I, I, I love it. I'm like, look, Dave's traveling all over. He's seeing the world. He's bringing improv. Look at these meals he's eating. This <laughs> life he's living. You know, gosh, that look. And maybe someday when the girls are older, maybe Dave will show me how. Right. What path he's beaten. But and maybe but I look I at what go. you're doing and I look at this space and I go, this, you know, you talk about coming to L.A. It's like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? If you, of course, this can't happen, but if you can beam this floor to L.A., this is it. This is what L.A. needs. L.A. needs a place like this. And I look at your rooms and I, we talk about the chairs, huge chair guy. I look at your rooms and they're clean and the lights work and it's a clean space and and, and I would imagine the bathrooms are clean. Um, I mean, they don't. It doesn't cost anything to keep your bathrooms clean, to keep your rooms clean. You're creating jobs, right? People get paid to be able to do this. But in true. LA, there isn't this. There isn't this. There isn't Shetler. There isn't that other place that's in a building somewhere on Seventh or Eighth or whatever it is. Um, uh, you know, there's another place that has. What am I thinking of? That has could be Ripley, yeah, maybe Cap so. Twenty. There's a lot of them. yeah, but there are a lot of them. There's nothing like that in L.A. So because there's nothing like that in L.A., if I want to get together with my group who has nothing to do with I.O. or nothing to do with Second City, where the fuck do we go? And your place is 
a creative, you know, you rent out rooms, right? Right. That's why we call it Simple Studios, because I didn't want to, like, make it a pit thing. Right. I wanted it to be open and inclusive right. as much as it can be, you know, because right. we need a certain amount of the space, but we don't need all of it, and we don't need to put it in people's faces. Pit Studios. Right. Pit Rehearsal Space. Right. I don't need to do that. You know, and I and I like the idea of creating different brands and different businesses. Right. You know, so we create what we need. Uh-huh. I needed, we needed space to teach our classes. Mm-hmm. So I knew if we built it, at least the pit classes would buoy it. Oh my gosh, sorry, my phone. That's all right. I don't know why it's... That's your phone? My, no, my alarm on my watch, I've got to figure out how to not go off at, at 11 p.m. <laughs> I don't know why. I have this new thing. Oh yeah, it's a Fitbit. You like it? Oh, I like it. I like it. I like it because it's a toy. I like and I love fucking gadgets. But I see that you're a you're a PC guy. Yeah, but this is I don't have an office and I don't have a desk. Oh, this isn't yours. This is not mine. No, <coughs> I don't. I don't have an office. Uh-huh. I don't have a desk. There's no area at any of the places where I sit. This is somebody else's office. Uh huh. You office, have no office. No. No office, no desk. I've got right now. I've got an iPhone six. It used to be. I used to say my office is my BlackBerry. Until I couldn't find a BlackBerry anymore at T-Mobile, so now my office is an iPhone six. Jesus, what? Yeah, I don't need an office. I don't need a desk. It's a waste. There's plenty of people doing actual work. They don't need someone like me taking up space. I'm not understanding that at all. Um, okay, the only reason I'm thinking. Okay, there's so you schedule from your phone. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, your schedule. I mean, yeah. All right. There's How about no, fiduciary transactions? Well, that's there's business managers at every of the, all the businesses, uh-huh. and I see all the accounts on my phone. Okay, so with, I'm just being naive. Yeah, I yeah. guess I'm being but I, naive. But I, I'm happy to demystify anything. Got it. But what I'm saying is, I look at a lot of things, and I get I'm like, oh look at you, you've got a dog, but and I, you're able to take care of your dog. I, I would say the same thing about your travel and teaching. I would say the same thing. But I mean, again, there's business managers. Uh-huh. And again, my rough math or rough business is here are the accounts. I can look on the phone and see how much is in there and be like, okay, we're okay. Or we might need to be able to move this, you know. Uh-huh. When you look at this, what like do you have a person that's an inspiration to you? Well, I mean, look, I learned, you know. You mentioned a, all those places that you yeah, were the apprentice at. Right, without a doubt. I is there anybody that you look at and you go, that person, or was just a little piece of that? A little, a little piece, of that? piece of, um, little piece of Sharna, little piece of Dell, little right. piece of Andrew, right? A little piece of the UCB, little piece of you know SNL and Lauren, and watching all that and little by little doing the best I can. You and know? going there also, going to all those places and looking at it instead of looking at it going, this is, I have an allegiance to this. It's more along the lines of, I'm here right now, and this is what I'm doing. Like at Second City, I always felt that you, I, I felt that you, there was a different flavor to the work that you did. And not to say that you didn't belong in, a, that you weren't part of an ensemble, but it's like that guy up there thinks differently than all the other people there. And again, this isn't a slight at all. It's like fucking bully for you. And I look at Adam McKay and I go, he had the same kind of thing where it's like, that fucker stands out for a reason. Like they're thinking differently. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I had. There was any rhyme or reason to it. I think you know. I remember coming in and seeing like you and your cast, and I remember one. And I still think about this, where I remember coming back from like a long, like a road trip with my girlfriend. We came to see the free set on like a Sunday, at main stage, and you were on the cast. And Jackie Hoffman came down and said, "Hey, I was sitting on the the wall, the, the at the bench, not the bench, but the um the first rail, the rail, yes, yes, you know where you could be right above and see." And Jackie Hoffman came up and said, "Hey, we'd love for you to sit in with us tonight." 
And I was like, uh, I just got back from a trip and I'm tired. I was scared. I sat back on my laurels. How could I fail if I don't try? Uh-huh. Right? And I think the cast was you and Colbert and Jackie and Danello and, you know. And I look back on that and say, look, if I would have known better, I would have done better. Right. And I would have loved to have been in that set, but I was just, my girlfriend was there and right. she already thought highly of me. And it was just, <laughs> it just was this fear of like, I've got everything to lose and nothing to gain. It was all ego. It was 100% all, ego. All 100% ego, ego and fear. Yeah. You know? All ego and fear. Do you have that ego and fear now? Sure. It pops up, man. Ego is one of those things that, you know, fear is just like, they're always there. It's not, it's, it, you know having fear is part of life it's it, but what you do with it is what defines you so i try to acknowledge like i'm afraid this scares me now there's a difference between fear and prudence right right now, i always say there's good fear and bad fear uh uh-huh. you know bad fears i don't want to go to the zoo because the tiger can get out of the cage right, right. good fear is i'm in a cage with a tiger you should be scared. <laughs> so I always try to ask myself, because again, this tool of yes and, this sword that Dell gave us of yes and, can almost get you to say yes and to things that you don't and you shouldn't say yes and to. Mm-hmm. And which now I've, I've altered it to say yes and until you have to say no thank you. I, I, for me, the big thing, it's so interesting that you say that because I, I talk about it, I talked about it in class today. I'm so tired of the fucking yes and thing because I believe that it's not... It, it seems malpractice the way that some people teach yes and. I feel like they're, if somebody says, but you did a scene and you said no to that person. It's like, no, I didn't say no to that person. I said no to their character. And that's a different thing than saying no to the artist. And, and for me, that's how, sh- that's how that shit works. For me. Um, but this, I think, I think some teachers are... Are, are lazy in their teaching. I don't like that we're lazy. I think, I think we're also teaching with echoes. We heard it. We're not questioning it. We just heard it, and now that's what we're teaching. Well, that's what I'm saying with the brainwashing, where you have to evaluate it every day, right? And that's why with the yes and, I say to them, look, the truth trumps yes and. Yes and is a powerful sword. It's a powerful tool. Right. But the truth is more powerful. Right, absolutely. So when you say the truth, because a big thing that I teach is truth. What's your truth right now? What are you feeling right now? What's your truth right now? That is such a hard thing to work with people on because of fear, ego, and also the idea of if I say my truth, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I feel like if you say your truth, everything is going to happen next. Everything. If you hold back, you're going to be working. If you say the truth, fucking shit is going to fly. And you watch people have what I call abdominal spaciousness. You can suddenly see them release their truth and their, their body changes shape. And, and that's feeling of the only source of suffering is non-acceptance. And to watch somebody go, I got to fucking accept the fact that my, my marriage is over. I got to accept the fact that I've got to move out of my place. I got to accept the fact that my, I, it's not the job for me anymore. And you watch them go, oh. <clears throat> I got to accept the fact that I paid for a space and now I get to fill that space, whatever it's going to be. And I hate watching people on stage. I just, it, I hate, I already said hate. I hate watching people on stage and thinking, you're not telling your truth and I, you're working so fucking hard. And you don't have to work that hard. 
So you're playing with John Glazer and you're playing with Pesquese. We're bowling. No, you're not playing, you're bowling. Yes, we're going to a bowling fundraiser. Oh, you're not even improvising. <laughs> no! Glazer is doing this bowling fundraiser for this other theater that Gary Wilms is a part of. So, we are bowling Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Yes, yes, you're I'm sorry. bowling? Yeah, no, no, that's okay. I, yeah. thought it was, I thought it was at a bowling alley. Of no, course, you're bowling no, at a bowling no. alley. But... You're bowling. We're actually, Glazer's putting together a bowling team as part How's of... How's your game? I haven't bowled in a long time, you know, but to me, I love bowling. Uh-huh. And okay, yes, and any chance to help another theater company. Right. You know, right. Anybody right. else right. doing it. And if right. it's like you're a theater company and you want a hundred bucks from me, God bless, thank God that I have a hundred dollars. Right. Me, but we should try to help other I, theater companies and other people trying to do theater but I, you you gotta put some you can't just take keep it all you gotta put some back out there in charity totally understand you know so did you, were you were you, the, the only reason not to is I think professional jealousy fear we go back to fear did you have a lot of that move how, what's your relationship to professional jealousy I guess is my question well, I mean, you've got to acknowledge it. See, my, my, one of my daughters, my seven-year-old, is very good at saying, this makes me jealous. I don't like this. And she acknowledges her truth. So what happens with us is, look, there's the ego and the soul, right? The, the soul is happy for friends who achieve things. The ego is like, oh, how come not me? And you have to remember that the soul is who we actually are before space and time. Mm-hmm. The ego is what has been acquired by, you know, parents, society, whatever, friends. And so it's not wrong. You can't judge your first thoughts. That's the thing. We have to make the world comfortable with whatever first thought it has. Mm -hmm. And what we have to be able to say is, look, you had a crazy first thought or a negative first thought or whatever. Just you don't need to take it to a second, third, or fourth thought. Right. That's what happened. Don't entertain it. No. Don't engage in it. Right. But it's okay. You had it. I think the major thing is to say, to acknowledge that you had it and not to say that is what my decision is or to mindlessly follow that thing. Um, Somebody calls you up and says, look, we're having a fundraiser. A raffle ticket is $100 for the theater company that's just like your theater company. And your first thought is, could be. Maybe, not certainly not now, but a thought would be, really? You're going to take money out of my pocket? So instead of going, I was there, they're calling me up. Yeah. They're calling me up. Yeah, but in a good, yeah. I'm saying that in a good way. They're calling me up. They're, they're, they're opening themselves up to that. They're not holding back on that. Right. And if I want to go, who the fuck do they think they are? I also want to do this. I, this is another thought that I'm going to have. Fucking good for them. Good for them. Well, I mean, it's it's trying to have some element of conscientious capitalism, you know, which is we're in a decent place right now. Who's we? The pit and the organization. They're all tied to leases. Uh-huh. So if you walk around New York City, you'll see for rent signs everywhere. I mean, Lehman Brothers went out of business. Mm. So there's nothing guaranteed in. And Lomans went out of business. Right. There's nothing guaranteed in New York City when you're tied to a lease. You're there for a period of time, you try to hold that hill for as long as you can, and eventually someone else will come along with more money and might take that hill away from you. So enjoy it while you have it, mm-hmm. right? So, but a theater company that's starting out, 
you know, the microcosm informs the macrocosm. So if I give 100, someone else is going to give 100, and someone else, and they'll have enough to do their show. And then maybe later on, when I need money, larger entities than me will say, you need a million to open up a theater in LA? Yeah, I'm a plastic surgeon, and here, here's a million dollars, or I'm, I've made crazy money, so yeah, take it. Oh, that fucking crazy money. Right. There's a lot of crazy money out there. There's a lot of crazy money. I, I think that we've all been beneficiaries of crazy money. Absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, look, you, you, if you have a dollar in your pocket, you're richer than half of the world, you know? And anybody would look at what we have and think, this is crazy money. Right. You know? But there is crazy, crazy money out there that would easily, could easily give me money to open a theater in L.A. just to be a part of it and not want to have an interest in it. Uh-huh. But knows, like... What do you need? A million? Two million? See, what I need is either one person to give me a million, ten to give me a hundred thousand, two to give me five hundred thousand, you know, a hundred to give me ten thousand each, and we could open a theater in L.A. Right. You see? Why would you open a theater in L.A.? Well, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, because I said there's so many pitizens out there. Right. As I get older, the cold of New York is starting to wear on me with whatever seasonal depression or like, this is getting harder Right. as it gets colder. Um, it's either New York or <coughs> Los Angeles. Right. Chicago doesn't need me. No. You know, there's no reason to go to Chicago. I don't know. I mean... But the, the, but there's no artistic... It seems more like it's just about, a, it's about owning a coat. I guess... I don't know... And I don't know what we have to differentiate with, and this is something I'll have to do when push comes to shove. Do I like the idea of it or the reality of it? You see what I'm saying? Okay, a yeah. lot of people like the idea of being a chef. The reality of being a chef is it's a lot of work. Right. And right. it's challenging. It's not just like, you know, you get to, there's a lot of prepping going into making. So right now, maybe the idea of LA, La Pit, right. is intriguing. And because so <laughs> many people have brought it up, right. and so many people ask me about it, that you almost don't know if it's like, just people pushing you to do something that they want, but I don't know. I got to do projects while I'm here, you know. Here's anywhere on Earth, right? I mean, and is it a project that I want to do, need to do? I don't know. It's it, for me as we're talking about this. It, what this, this similar? People say, "Why don't you write a book? You should write a book." And I think, "Yeah," and I feel like, "Why? Why do I want to write a book?" And the question really has to be, the question is, why do I want to write a book? And the moment that I say, the moment that I realize what the answer to that is, I'll write a book. Because right now I'm thinking, why do I want to write a book? Why do I have to write a book? So the question to you of why do you want to go out to LA is really, why do you want to go out to LA? Um, a lot of people say, you'll write a book because you know, that'll get you more work. That'll get you money. Both those things seem to me to be ego-based as opposed to soul-enriching base. And right now, I've yet to find... Right now, the um, it's a very narrow intersection in this Venn diagram, and it needs to be larger. But I have no reason to write a book. I mean, and that's similar to L.A. for me, in terms of, like, I have a limited number of shots left in me uh-huh. at my age, uh-huh. you know. And bricks and mortar is challenging. No matter what you do. I know from having a bad experience being a partner in a restaurant bar that I don't want to do food and beverage. No. Again. I no. don't ever want to be part of a restaurant. I have a question. So this is a restaurant that you owned. 
That you're part of it. Yeah. Okay. That you were part of it. I just have a question about it. What happens... Like, how do you order food? How do you order... How does a restaurant order know they have enough food or not enough food? Well, I mean, it's the same way you do in your own home. You look in your fridge. What do you need? You go out and you go shopping. There are refrigerators in restaurants, and you look in the fridge, and you know what's on your menu, and you have purveyors, and you're buying dairy, meat, uh, cheeses, whatever, and that's it. It's just... It's just Escalated, and sometimes you buy too much, and sometimes. Yeah. So, but but a major part of that would be, don't overbuy. That would be because I look at a restaurant and I go, how much do they throw away? And it seems kind of gross to me, and yet I fucking love restaurants a lot. Yeah, I mean it's a, but it's but it's that fine line, the balance of how do you order. Look, when you're doing construction, when you're doing restaurants, not every piece of wood is going to get used. Right. Some stuff is going to end up in the garbage. Right. And what you're trying to do with anything where you have a lot of materials is try to keep your loss or shrinkage down to 5 or 10%. But you're not going to use every bit of tomato, every bit of meat, every bit of cheese. Right. Some stuff is just going to end up back in the compost. Right. I just, I just, I love talking business with you. I fucking love it because I, I, a couple years ago, I realized I'm a small business owner. I'm a small. I'm a fucking business owner. I own a goddamn business. And then the moment that you, re- for me, the moment that I realized that was the moment that I thought I get to really think about things in a business term, and I get to think about things from a business perspective. And what's my business? My business is me. That's my business. And because I love me so much, I want to sell me. So, just talking about uh, finances and talking about risk and talking about uh, 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 um, um, overhead and how do you get yourself out there? And risk is a major fucking thing. And I love the idea of risk. And I think that's one of the reasons of being an improviser is you have no fucking idea what's going to happen. And it's all for me based on trust. Not hope, but trust. Uh, do you work with a group here? Like, do you have a, do you have a cast that you work with, or are you? I'm thinking of an ensemble that you work with. Well, I mean, you know, the pit has house teams and ensembles. Right. Are you part of any of that? Yeah, yeah. I perform every Wednesday night uh-huh. with faculty <laughs> members. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that since the beginning for over 13 years. Mm-hmm. So that's my spoonful. Right. Where I get to perform. Right. On Wednesday nights at 10:30. Um, and then lately, I've been going out there to do some stand-up just to like push myself out of my comfort zone. Are you doing writing anymore? Yeah, I mean, I write somewhat. But I mean, it's, it's, writing is farming, you know, and improv is hunter-gatherer, <laughs> you know. Um, I explain that, I think I know what With you improv, mean. you show up, you get a suggestion, you play. Right. With writing, you got to write, you got to rewrite, you got to look at it, you got to hone it. And that's why I teach an improv class and a sketch writing class at the pit. Mm-hmm. And the people who take the improv class, you know, they get to show up and play. The people who take the writing class, they got to do homework. They got to do homework. They got to do it. But they don't have to. I mean, I don't get upset or mad if they don't. It's up to them, whatever they want to do. They're adults. They're, they're adults. You know, they signed up for the class themselves, and I don't make anybody feel bad. I'm happy if they want to audit. But writing is work, and it's like, you're right. I have a certain amount of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the four or five businesses, the family, my own auditions, my own, like, you know, each of these businesses, like, it's a plate spinning act. You have to just, throughout the day, whether it's in person or via email or whatever, you're spinning plates. 
you're keeping them going and just getting projects going. But again, we're lucky because we've got so many great people working here. And each of the businesses has people at the head or a group of people at the head. We're really, if I were like to go off somewhere and never come back, they would be fine. <laughs> the challenge would come when it's time to re-sign leases. Right. The challenge might come for them with you know, the little details that maybe I see, but someone else would have their own little details mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of, you know, design or architecture or color or whatever. But they're fine. You know, that idea of spinning plates and the bandwidth, I fucking dig, I dig that so much. And I'm finding right now, <coughs> I've a, I've a, uh, I'm coming off a cold. And I'm coming off a cold, I think, because I keep pushing my bandwidth. I keep pushing, I keep saying, I can do this. I know I can do this. I know I want to do this. There's nothing that's going to stop me from doing this. And then I realize, I, as much as I don't pay attention, my body is, it's a 56-year-old body. And I think that I can carry on all these things. And what I'm finding is, maybe I want somebody else to do this for me so that I can use more of my bandwidth for this thing. Um, it's about risk again, letting go of those things in order to do those things. Um, and trusting that you're hiring the right people. Do you hire everybody? I hire everybody who works. I hire everybody who teaches. Um, I used to even get involved in interns, but now they hire interns. Uh -huh. um, when did you surrender that? Like, did you? Did when it just got to be too many folks. Uh -huh. And, you know, but anybody who's going to become an employee of the pit, I have to meet them. Uh -huh. At the admin level now, I am, you know, I'm open to them hiring folks. Right. Because ultimately, they got to work with them in the office. I don't have an office. Right. And if I'll come in and I go out of the office, and if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter if it works for me. Or right. Not. It's got to work for them first. Right. Um, but every instructor, every instructor, we sit down, we talk for a good bit. I just make sure that they are on the same page. Right. That we want to be of a higher purpose. Uh-huh. You know, we're just not like, yes, I want people to be good at improv and I want them to have fun and I want them to, you know, hopefully have a career if they want it, but also I want them to benefit from it. Right. Where they take these things and maybe they never ever, you know, do it again, but their life has been made better because of, you know, something they learned at the pit and the right. people they And that's just making sure that the people who teach with you are of the same mindset. And they are. We've got a great, I mean, a great faculty. We just don't have any, we don't have room for any fillers. What does that mean? Some places grow so fast, so big, they just got to fill the slots with instructors. And they just put instructors there who maybe don't want to teach for the right reasons or just do it until something else comes along. Maybe do it resentfully or begrudgingly. We don't have any fillers. Right. You know, we're not, you know, we're just not that big. Right. It's more boutique-y still. I, I've talked to I've, I've talked to a lot of there's people that I know that I've, I've talked to who are teaching classes for what I perceive as the wrong reason the reason being I needed some work so I got myself a job teaching it's like oh, oh my god what must your classes be like because everybody's going to see through mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we don't have that I don't think and we do a lot of feedbacks and look you're not going to please out of all 16 students a couple of people maybe are not going to see the same way right but that's okay I love the idea of making someone's life better you have to I know well, but I think a, that how know. often do people say that like like when I was in Second City I never thought that they wanted to make my life better you know I 
And it wasn't like they owed that to me at all. I just felt like somebody's saying, I want to make your life better. I'm like, oh, well, how do you do that? And for me, I think, this is how I would do that. I want you to feel good about you. We're, we're in the, the pursuit of happiness. There's the life, the liberty, but we're in the pursuit of happiness business. And to try to help people be a little happier. And I think, you know, the world should be, fo- not forced, because that gets a little draconian, but should be made and encouraged to take an improv class or an acting class. Drop it, something. <laughs> Just everybody get on the same page, you know? No matter what you do, you're still going to benefit. It's like taking a walk or exercising. You never go, oh, I should have done that. You're going to be like, all right, I feel a little better. Right. I walked around. I took a walk. I exercised. You even know. for a second. Right. Even for 20 minutes to sit in a room. And I think about a, a, an improv stage, and I always call it a sacred space. It's a space that we're able to leave all those other things out and for a moment just hover above your life and live this life that we're fantasizing about. That hovering. And I, I mentioned it today and people go, yeah, but I bring all this stuff. They're like, you don't have to bring it in. Or if you want to bring it in, bring it in, but leave it somewhere so you can hover over it as someone else. In the same way when people come into a class, they put down their book bag, they take off their coat, they hang it up. You also, in a way, in the beginning of that class, have to help them put down their baggage. And that's what the beginning of every class is for me is, we all have baggage. We have to put down our baggage and deal with our elephants in the room for the first 15, 20 minutes of this exercise, this class, so that we may have two, two and a half hours of productive work. Right. You know, you don't go and exercise in a way where you're just maxing out. You work up to it, you know? And so it's the same way. It's the cross-pollination of ideas. You, you don't go practice at the, at the driving range and just hit the driver all day. You start out with your pitching whiz, your smaller clubs, you work up to your bigger clubs, and then you end it with some putty. I'm going to take your word for it, because uh, I, I don't do that, but I get, I get it. I get, and, and to watch somebody just come in charging into a scene to go, hey, 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 hey. The product is the process. The product of improvisation is the process of improvising. Let me watch your fucking process, dude. And also, I love the idea of the baggage, of baggage, of like, put down your baggage, put it on a baggage carousel, just fucking put it the fuck away. And to watch somebody suddenly release who it is that they are and embrace someone that they're not. Or for someone to, to look at someone, you know these two people aren't getting along outside of class, but for that one moment, you see them see each other in a very different way. And you go, yeah, man, look at you holding on to stuff. And what would it be like if you let it go? Man. But that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we're in charge of the pursuit of happiness. <coughs> Have you had a fire anybody? <coughs> in 13 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have to think about it, but yeah, we've had, I mean, no one's, in a small business like this, people, you know, move on for other mm-hmm. opportunities. Yeah, we've had to part ways with people. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. Right. You know, to have an organization, and from the beginning, it's like you're going to have situations that don't quite work out. Right. You know, you know. One thing I always try to do lately, I always try to ask myself, maybe it's me. You know, start with myself. Maybe it's me. Could be. I could be the one mm-hmm. at fault. And you know, 
but wow, that's that's such a I I love that idea of maybe it's me. Yeah, maybe it's, it's not. Me. It's not that knee jerk reaction like this person. Right. It's like wait a minute, wait a minute. What's my what's my responsibility in this situation? And it's an existential experience then. And we're all passing through anyway. I mean, the pit, you know, because of the name, it has a lot of, you know, um, you know, phrases that come along with it. But people come by, they make a pit stop, and that might be for an afternoon or to use the bathroom and move on. It could be for a decade. Whatever period of time, hopefully, you're trying to leave them better than you found them. And hopefully it's win-win, and hopefully they benefit from it as well. But, I mean, again, it's as it grows, you can't please everybody. You, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I just, I got just one the idea of taking something that is perceived as a negative experience while you're in the middle of it and then realizing a bunch of time later that that was the best thing that could ever happen. Well, yeah, I mean, tonight even I was telling my daughters at dinner, I said everything in my life had to go wrong for me to be here tonight. If things went right, quote unquote, I wouldn't be here right now. That's why I know I'm exactly where I should be at this moment in time. You know, everything in my life, and if you look at it from the outside, went wrong. You know, getting fired from places, getting asked to move along at places. But none of what I, what we've accomplished would have happened if that hadn't happened. You know, and that's the amazing part. You have to kind of embrace, well, if that happened, then what else? That's what I was saying about, like, we knew slavery was wrong. We knew not giving women the right to vote was wrong. What else right now, you know, am I doing that I could be or that the path is taking me towards something else? while I'm here. You awesome. know. Good. Let's stop there. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Jeez. Wow. Everything in my life had to go wrong in order for me to be here tonight. Mighty powerful stuff there, Ollie. Thank you very much. Here's a list of my workshops. As always, I'll be at our Hollywood drop-in when I'm in L.A. Interested in what I teach? AK Studios, Wednesdays, 4 to 7. April 15th to the 17th, I'll be teaching the U Workshop in Philly at the Wilma Theater. April 23rd and 24th, I'll be teaching a Viewpoints workshop in D.C. at the D.C. Improv. April 30th, I'll be with Kirkland Moody co-teaching a commercial audition workshop at L.A. Zydeco Studios. And May 13th through the 15th, I'll be back in San Francisco at the Pan Theater for one night, two days, and a guided show with Dave Rosowski. ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski is produced by Laura Parker and me. Like our show? Give us some love on iTunes, won't you? Send questions and comments to dave at addcomedy.com. Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears.